Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a sensational show. My guest today is Ellie Katz. She is the founder and executive director of Sages and Seekers. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Oh, thank you, Marsha. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, this is just going to be great. I'm just I'm so excited about what it is that you do because I think it's so important. And as an elder, which I guess is considered a sage, you know, this is particularly interesting to me. But before we start talking about your nonprofit, I thought you could just share a little bit about yourself. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm, um, wow. Well, I <laughs> grew up. I grew up in Nashville, and okay. um, I went to school at Rochester Institute of Technology and earned a degree in communication design. And I became a graphic designer. Uh, then I moved to San Francisco, where I met my husband, and um, I I got pregnant. And of course everything changed and so yeah. I was really I was really concerned about the planet and so I talked my husband into selling his business and we opened up the first environmental store in the United States in 1990 um, wow. and so yes I know it it was quite a quite an adventure and um, Paul is still running the environmental stores but um we now live in Los Angeles and yes. um our and our son uh is 31 and he lives in Brooklyn so that sort of brings me to today with sages and speakers there you go that's really cool about the environmental store i'll have to check that out um so you mentioned your 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 design work so what inspired you to relinquish your career as a graphic designer to start a nonprofit. Mm. Um, well, you know, I'm I'm still sort of fascinated by how that happened. <laughs> uh, I I was taking my son to school. Um, he was 16, and I we were listening to NPR, and there was a speaker who was describing the state of the planet and the people on it. And he used the word apocalypse in his description, mm. which I'm 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 a very uh, worry oriented and anxiety oriented human being, <laughs> and so that was the wrong thing for yes. me to hear. But um, but shortly afterwards, I, I was white knuckling the steering wheel, and I dropped my <laughs> son off, and then he had what I guess you would call a call to action. He said he felt if everyone chose something passionate about and did something in that arena, 
that he felt we could turn the world around. And so I remember thinking, gosh, I hope everyone is listening because I don't have time to do that. And, um, (laughs) yeah, interestingly, by the time I had um, driven home, I – I thought, well, so what are you passionate about? You've already tackled the planet when you, you know, the the whole issue of um, how do we treat the planet with respect and what kinds of things do we purchase. So I felt like, okay, that's in good hands with my husband. It's time for me to do something else. And I have always been fascinated by older adults, even when I was young, when I was a teen, and I've also always felt that as a group, underutilized and disrespected. And so at the time, I was only in my late 50s, which, you know, you you don't feel old when you're in your late 50s. No. And so you you don't think of yourself as being old at that point. And so... um, I thought, well, yeah, if I had the time, that's what I would do. I would do something great for older adults because they deserve it, you know, little mm-hmm. knowing that I would be an older adult myself. Yes. Um, and so uh, I, I don't, I mean, as a graphic designer, I don't have any background in psychology or gerontology or education, but um, I – I thought about, okay, well, what do older adults want? And I know they don't want to be 16 again because I didn't even want to be 16 again. <laughs> but that, That's cute. But, but, you know, that energy, that youthful 16-year-old or 18-year-old, I can do anything, and it's, it's just um, intoxicating. And so yes. I thought to myself, yeah, and so I thought, how do I bring those two generations together to share what they have, you know? Um, and older adults have so very many years of life experience and wisdom. And here are these young kids just sort of beginning to take a look at what life will be about when they Mm -hmm. are on their own someday. So it seemed like a perfect match to me. And then I, yeah. And then I came up with a program and, and um, had to find a school and a senior center that were willing to, you know, enroll in the pilot program. And from the first moment on, it was absolutely mesmerizing for me. Mm -hmm. I, I was, at what happened. So I'm, I'm addicted now. What can I say? I'm sure. addicted. Did, were you close to your grandparents growing up? Um, they never, we never lived in the same city. So I can't Yeah, that made it hard. Right. Close. Yeah. Right, right. But I that physically enjoyed that. Yeah. Yes. So tell me about the objective of sages and seekers. And frankly, before I even ask you to tell me what your objectives are, 
Uh, how did you come up with this name? It's a fabulous nonprofit name, Sages and Seekers. So tell me about mm-hmm. how you came up with the name, but what the objectives are in this program that you have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, you know, I'm not sure I can even remember back to wow. how the name came but mm-hmm. I realized, which is sort of interesting, um, I'm sure that when I came up with it, I thought, okay, these kids are going to sit here and learn something from our elders. <laughs> and, but, but what is really interesting, Marcia, is that I would say after maybe the first four or five programs that I facilitated – I could see that the term sage and seeker was going back and forth because when the students were talking about topics that older adults don't know anything, you know, much about, they became mm-hmm. the sages and the older adults became the seekers. So wow. I think it's, yeah, I think what's lovely is that it does change all in the 75 minutes or an hour if it's online, that they're together, they really sort of move back and forth in the role of, of hmm. stage. And... That's, yeah. that's terrific. I mean, that, that, that's, I, I, you know, depending upon the age of the listener, depending upon how you are, Mr. or Mrs. Listener, you know, you can relate to this. I mean, just technology alone has changed so dramatically, you know, just catching up the sages to even understand some of this technology is just can be very overwhelming. So I know that um, I, I, love, I love your logo. I, I, I really love the looks of your logo, and I would just say to people listening that this is a very beautiful website. It basically just says sages and seekers.org and it's like two arms like embracing each other and if you look really close as I'm looking right now and I didn't realize it till this very moment it is the letter S and one's a darker color blue than the other I just saw that but what it says below that is equally important which says developing empathy and diminishing ageism. And I I would just like you to if you if you wouldn't mind, I would like to know your definition of what ageism is. Mm. Um well, I maybe it's not an easy know. answer. <laughs> yeah, it, I the simplified ver- version I would say is a uh, prejudice or discrimination on the grounds of a person's age. But I did do some research into it, and apparently the term ageism was actually coined less than 100 years ago, um, which really makes you wonder, you know, is that why? How did that start, and why did that Mm -hmm. start, and why bring attention to it? and was there a time when there was no separation of ages? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and of course we know that because families used to live together uh, right. as older adults. Yeah. 
Um, but I think um, how it started was describing um, again the the prejudice against older adults, but it actually goes both ways now because both teens are marginalized. You know, they don't have a lot of agency. You know, they're they're both sort of in the same boat. And hmm. uh, so I, I think to me that is really fascinating that, yes. um, yeah, that it's and, – and those are the two loneliest age groups right now hmm. is, um, yeah, is teens and older adults. And, you know, they're both trying to make sense of their world, so they are a great fit. So, you know, ageism, interestingly, uh, I think is part of the solution is to start at this age, you know, the age of, of teens, and help them to understand the value of older adults, and then, you know, we can talk about this later, but there's yes. just a whole war going on in the workplace that needs to be hmm. addressed as well. Yeah. So what what would you say the problems are that your sages and seekers are trying to solve? Um, well, I think ageism, of course, is the overarching goal, but mm-hmm. to that we have to develop empathy and respect for one another regardless of our differences and right now I think that this is the this is the most divided I've ever seen our country Um, people don't even want to listen to the other side talking or someone who thinks differently than they do. And that's a whole other topic, Marsha, because I do think after, you know, after the pandemic, there, you know, there, I, I, I actually think humanity is much more fragile now. Um, In creating an intergenerational program based in authentic conversation, not, you know, not texting, not anything like a, a quick conversation or a hello, but um, an authentic conversation. And so we set up the opportunity to combat social isolation in these two marginalized age groups that experience loneliness. But when you have an authentic, deep conversation, which which is what happens to the sage and the seeker, um, you begin to break or shatter the stereotypes that keep mm-hmm. them apart. And I, you know, I often feel that if other people on opposite sides of any situation sit down and can connect humanity that we all are, um, there would be, a, you know, there would be more empathy. There would be more understanding and even just more ability to listen. I think there's less listening going on now than ever before. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, that, I think that I, I would agree with you. We can all see that in our own lives. 
some people are yeah. shy and maybe are not as apt to speak. You know, that certainly doesn't describe me. Um, I will talk to the wind. I, I love the opportunity to speak to strangers as much as people I know. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm fascinated by people. And I just think it's, it's, I don't know, that's just humanity for me. So, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I love your website. It, it is very, very well done. I'd like if you could just spend some time to describe what your program curriculum is like so people have an understanding of the kinds of things you offer. Sure. But before we do that, I want yes. to go back to what you said because that is really that, – that just made me perk up. The oh. fact that you, you're curious about people. I am. And honestly, Marsha, I do think that if people were curious about other people instead of, you know, this person isn't like me, I mm-hmm. I can't relate, that that really, if you say I'll talk to a stranger, I'll talk to anybody, I, mm-hmm. I think we need curious and open just just as you say and that that mm-hmm. is just a, a huge piece for i believe healing where we are right now so mm-hmm. i love that i love that you mentioned that and and Thank you. i can attest i can attest that the few conversations that we've had mm-hmm. um you you know and especially what you do you are curious you're willing to take the time to allow people a platform to inform other people about life. So I love that. I just wanted to Thank say you. that. Thank you. And now I'll try the curriculum. So yes. um, I think what makes Stages and Seekers sort of as successful as it is in thousands of older adults and teens have been through our programs over the last 13 years. What what makes it successful is that it's not a mentoring program. We don't say to the older adults, oh, we want you to help the teens, you know, do this or do that. It's this way. If it's not mentoring and they both come in and enroll in an eight-week program because they want to get something out of it, then nobody has the power. But if we told the sages that they were going to mentor these students and giving them life lessons, it would be an entirely different experience. Mm -hmm. And many, many, many times, I mean, so many times in the eighth week when we get together, the students describe their sage as a friend. And I think that's less that's less apt to happen if mm-hmm. um you know, if someone has the power to them is that that the older adults um and the teens come together the first week and we spend the entire first week shattering Stereotypes. It's a little different online, but in person we have the space and time to do that. So when we, after we break down the stereotypes, then we do speed dating the next week. And um, <laughs> as, 
student gets, gets a chance to move around the room and meet every sage. And then we ask the students to uh, give us their top five choices of who they would like to be paired with because oh. we do – yeah, we do um, every week there is group discussion, but the bulk of the weekly meeting is one-on-one. And so what it allows the students to do is to um, – they, they get to choose who they feel comfortable with. That's why we let them do it, mm-hmm. choose want to be with, mm-hmm. so that they're more open. You know, if you just stick them with somebody, they're like, oh, why did I get, you know, a male? I, he's not going yeah. to relate to me. And um, right. so they get five minutes to talk to every stage, and then they choose who they want to work with. And then for the next uh, four or five weeks, they work one-on-one, sort of digging deep into um, just – you know, what it is to be human and how do you navigate life and what is success and what is failure. And so they they tackle some really big um, topics, you know, that are germane to being alive. And, um, and then the students are asked to write a 750-word, well, I think it's less, maybe 500 words online, a reflection, sort of tribute reflection, um, read what they, uh, what they got out of the program or what they got from their stage that many times um, really sort of changes who they are. You know, mm-hmm. many of the are introduced to things they'd never thought about. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk around career because, of course, high school students, that is what's up. Um, and so the the tribute is written to honor the sage for what they have shared that has impacted the student. And um, And then the last week we just – hang out together and talk about what surprised you about being spending time with another generation. So it's it's very interesting. I mean, it's always interesting, but it's also, you know, poignant as well because there's a lot of um, sort of shifting and transformation mm-hmm. for not just the students, but for many of the older adults as well. I see a book in your future. Um, is I do. I mean, clearly there's a book in your future, but you don't have time. So let's talk about, I'd be curious to know, I'm not the first one that said there's a book in your future, I'm sure. Um, is it difficult to recruit the participants in your programs? I don't know how you go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it is, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And, yeah, yeah. Well, as you can imagine, many older adults say to me, like, I, I will go to a, a senior facility or mm-hmm. a retirement company and, you know, tell them, oh, this is 
so great. You get to be with teenagers. And what I didn't anticipate was the famous question, which I hear all the time, which is, why would I want to enroll in a program talking to teens when my own grandchildren are not interested in talking with me? Oh, God. Yeah. So. Oh, my goodness. That, yeah, yeah. And, you know, in many respects, wow. they're absolutely right. You know, it's like oh. that's their experience. So the first time someone said that to me, um, I, I really had to think long and hard about it. And being a parent of, you know, a 16 or 17-year-old at that point, I watched what happened to his grandparents when they were around him and also my husband and myself. You know, the focus Mm -hmm. is who are you hanging out with? What are you, you know, what are your grades? Um, Are you doing drugs? What about those friends of yours? And, you know, have you applied for schools? What, What do you want to do when you grow up? Now, I don't really think that students want or teens really want to go into that over and over again. And um, so I really had to convince the, you know, when I was recruiting older adults, I, I really had to convince them that if they were meeting with someone they weren't invested in, like their own grandchild, that they would be more willing talk about life and all sorts of parts about life. And of mm-hmm. course, for the students, they understand that this person, there's something about the anonymity of the sage. You know, they, the, the sage doesn't know their parents, doesn't know their friends, and so they actually feel it's someone non-judgmental that they can open up to. And so when, um, so when I finally realized that the older adults were going to be difficult to recruit, um, I had my husband who was doing documentary filmmaking at the time, I had him come to the programs and film what was happening. And so the mm. minute, this, this was interesting to me, Marcia, the minute I brought a video for them to watch so they could see <laughs> what happened each week. It, it totally shifted. Whereas yep. I could maybe recruit two or three people, I started to get, you know, eight or nine people. So um, it is difficult. Uh, the students, not so much because a lot of times the schools put program into their curriculum, either humanities or history or English curriculum. And we also do after school and the students um, sometimes sign up so they can get community service, but Mm -hmm. um, then they enroll over and over and over again and they clearly don't need any more community service. So I think it's a way to get them to see, oh my gosh, I couldn't have even imagined how enjoyable this would be so yeah but it's all you know it's it's a deal it's always a a big deal to recruit 
I bet. And, you know, what's interesting is that if this is not just something that you do here in the Los Angeles area, this is across the country and actually outside the country as well, which I think is just phenomenal. Because you started in, is it, was it 2009? Do I have that correct in my head? that when you first began yeah. this program? Okay, so yeah. um, I, I, just, I just think it's... so. I, and I think that's the beauty, frankly, just to digress for a moment, of podcasting. Um, it's actually I'm celebrating my 13th year on Wednesday, this Wednesday mm-hmm. of hosting this, wow. this um, show. Three years in the studio, which meant that people had to drive to the studio where I live in Westchester to, to be a guest. But when the podcast opened five years ago, it's allowed me to have this reach. And so even though you and I may be you know, neighbors, so to speak, where somebody else is living in another part of this country while they're listening, this can be brought to them too. And I, and I think that that's another real bonus on what people will see when they, when they go to your website. And speaking of your website, you you mentioned something that's called the empathy deficit, and I thought maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what that means. Oh sure, I'd love to do that. But first of all, happy anniversary for oh, your thank 13th. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I, no, not thirteen years. Eight years on the thir- on the thirteenth. Oh, eight years on. Well, still eight yep. years is a long time. It's a long time. Really. I've been talking a That's while, smart. but I was born to talk, honey. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so I see. Yeah. So I heard. Yes, yes exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, the empathy deficit, I think that was actually coined by Barack Obama. And mm. actually, he said it before he was president. Mm. He was speaking, I think it was actually at Northwestern, you know, graduation. And mm-hmm. he used the term empathy deficit to talk about what, you know, sort of the social glue of humanity and that he felt was, get this, a more pressing political problem for America than the federal deficit. And wow. um yeah, I know. That was astounding. And of course, that was years ago and now the federal deficit is worse, but so is <laughs> empathy. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it made me really sit up and take a a closer look at empathy and there was a study done in in 2010, so imagine that that was quite a while ago, and sure. they stu- they studied um, the empathy of college students, and the level of empathy in 2010 was 40 percent less than it was in the 70s. So, um, yeah, and and that that's that's astounding to me. Mm-hmm. And I do, and you know, that was before the smartphone really took hold. But yeah. I I like to, well, I don't like to think, but I'm afraid to think that really a lot of that 
empathy deficit is because the smartphone has taken eye contact away. Um, Mm -hmm. It has shortened connection. It has made a lot of people more socially isolated, but they're sort of fooled by the idea that they have so many friends, you know, Mm -hmm. friends, and I've got air quotes there, um, that, you know, they feel like, well, they must be connected, but we wouldn't have such a loneliness epidemic right now if that were true. Right. Certainly the pandemic hasn't helped. That that, that isolation really did, whether you're the senior person that's fearful that you're going to get COVID or you're the you're the student that's not in classrooms with your friends anymore or playing sports or doing whatever you used to do. That that certainly made a gigantic shift, didn't it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, did. <clears throat> it did. Yeah, and, and interestingly, empathy, you know, it's it's different than compassion. It's the sort of ability in your mind to walk in someone else's shoes and see the world from their perspective. And that's how you develop empathy. And that's what actually gives you the ability to connect. And when we connect as human beings, we're, you know, we're just way more able to do so many different things that Mm -hmm. are healing and, and are healthy for us and the rest of people on the planet. I would agree. Um, I'm, I know that you and I had some questions that we've kind of lined out together to cover, and I might skip a couple of these um, just, by the, just because of timing. So I'd like to mm-hmm. ask you this, because I love what you said when we first started, when we talked about how your son said to you about finding something that you're passionate about. And sometimes I see passion and purpose as an interchangeable word. And so I thought maybe you could talk about the purpose and the team mental health crisis that we seem to be facing today. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, first let's address that both generations, teens and older adults, are um, – we're suffering, you know, because mm-hmm. I think what either the pandemic did or what it brought up for all of us. But um, I think the the most um, the most important thing for people is to have a greater sense of purpose because mm-hmm. there's less infi- there's less incidence of cardiovascular disease. And there's a Hmm. lower mortality in people that have a sense of purpose. And this is interesting. There was a recent study by University of Pennsylvania that found when people had a greater sense of purpose, they experienced less loneliness. They made better lifestyle choices to protect their health. And there was less depression. So... um, Hmm. I think to speak 
specifically about the mental health crisis that our teens are dealing with, um, it's it's proving to be an increasing challenge, which, you know, started, of course, or got worse in the pandemic, but there was already an issue with teen mental health before the pandemic, and now um, it's increased rates of, of youth suicide and substance abuse and depression. So um, it's, and, and when um, USC did two studies of sages and seekers, and in the first study, when they came to me and they said, oh, you know, this, the results are phenomenal. And I, I thought, well, okay, that's great. I want to hear them. And they said to me, the, um, for the students and the older adults, but they were really focused on the students, um, is that they had a greater sense of purpose by spending eight weeks learning about life, um, getting closer to an individual, you know, not feeling judged so they could let down a lot of their defenses. And um, so in feeling a greater sense of purpose, you definitely have less depression or less of an interest in, um, you know, in, in suicide. You don't, thought, you don't think about that. You are engaged and mm-hmm. um, excited about life. So I think, you know, a sense of purpose is really what the teens need right now in this health crisis, mental health crisis. That makes makes sense what you've just said, um, and I just I I just like the fact that you see the the value of that each group brings to the other. Maybe you are the sage that lives in Los Angeles, but all of your family is in Brooklyn, and you don't have mm. your 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 children are not near you, or your grandchildren, if you're lucky enough to have grandchildren, are not with you. And and I know that you've gone to senior citizen homes. And, you know, isolation certainly does have something to do with depression. But I like the fact that because they're not family-related, I would suspect that there's like, well, I remember when you were at Grandma's and you didn't eat all your mashed potatoes. You don't go there. It's not part of the conversation, right? I mean, yes. So um, has has anything actually surprised you? in terms of what both the sages and the seekers are doing? Yes, yes. I'd and, love to know um, what that would be. Oh, that's great. I, I, I mean, there are so many events that have surprised me, but I, I want to tell you, um, I think the biggest surprise for me was right at the beginning when a sage called me up to tell me that she ran into her seeker at the local market. And she said her seeker was with a group of friends, and he introduced her saying, hey, guys, this is my friend Martha. And um, I, she was stunned that he referred to her as his friend after eight mm. weeks. And, and I was pretty stunned. You know, I mean, I knew these kids enjoyed the program, but it never occurred to me that they would consider, you know, a, a 
17-year-old and a 79-year-old, they would be friends. And since since then, I've heard hundreds of seekers. I I just finished a program at Pacific Palisades, and and I was lucky enough to get to uh, facilitate it because our facilitator dropped out. And Mm. um, those kids just, you know, one right after the next, you know, my friend Georgia, you know, my friend John. And it's now it doesn't surprise me anymore. But I was really baffled for the first, you know, few times I heard that. But I do realize that many of the issues that both the teens and older adults deal with are mutual in nature, even though they seem miles apart. Right. That's that's so great. I, I mean, I so love hearing this. Um, I'm sure over all these years, I mean, like you said, this started in 2009. I know that's 14 years ago. Um, have you... Tell us about some success stories that you've heard about, maybe from the perspective of the sage and the the perspective of the seekers. Um, Oh, I'd love to. Okay. So um, this was was a really interesting program for me, and this is when I lived in the Boston area. So um, I had a, a sage that, enrolled in the program, and usually if a sage is depressed, I try to encourage them to do something different. I mean, like, you know, clinically depressed. I I Mm -hmm. want them to do something different because the students aren't really trained or or able to deal with that. So, But I had this woman who came in every week, and she would put her elbow on the – table when she was talking to her student and she would put her for you know her forehead into her hand like oh me and they would talk for you know this went on for the first two weeks of one-on-one the week she was leaving on her walker and she said to me I uh Ellie I had an epiphany pull that walker over and let's talk about this so I, I mean I I was so excited, Marsha, because, you know, nobody had ever said that to me. I was like, oh, my God, this is great. So um, she told me that she grew up in Germany during the war and that she, for all of her life, felt as though her father hated her. And those were her words, you know, my father hated And she Mm. said, Until she sat across from her student and described what that was like growing up in Germany Hmm. during the war and that her father was a composer. And so as she was saying this, it all started to make sense. She said he had to put food on the table for himself and for other people. She said, until I told my students that, I had interpreted all these years, and this woman was 86, and mm. she said, all these years, I thought my father hated me, but now I can see that he just did not have the time to show interest in me. 
And, you know, as kids, we make stuff up all the time. And she made it up and then apparently held on to it. So hmm. um, I, I was I was floored. And then the next week when she came in, she no longer sat with her elbow on the table and her forehead in her hand. She was a different person. She was engaged. And, um, yes, yes. And she had mm-hmm. let go of something that I think some underlying piece of her history that she had carried all those years. And so, of course, she was lighter and um, I think more interested and probably more well. But um, later, this is sort of fascinating for me, I learned that there's a psychologist named Robert Butler who believes that it is imperative for older adults to have a life review, which is what they do in Sages and Seekers when they're sharing their life stories. Oh, that that's he, interesting. He felt, yeah, he felt they had to have a life review before they passed so that they could look at their life from a different perspective. And so when I read that, I was so thrilled that I could witness that actually happening for somebody. And since then, you know, there are many instances, none quite as profound as, you know, I thought my father hated me. But, um, but you know, people say just saying, you know, oh, I, I, I thought high school was horrible, but now looking back and you know, between you and me, I, I'm sure it was horrible. But if you can change mm-hmm. your perspective, then you can actually see the value in things if you look at it a different way. So yes. I think that's one. Yeah, I think that's one of the beautiful um, uh, options and, and opportunities about sharing with another generation or someone. You know, as you say, who's not going mind you of this or that or the next thing they're they're listening you know they mm-hmm. they're interested yeah would you say that the seekers i i'm, I'm sure it's a different except, uh, experience but would you say that there's some profoundness just like you've described with the sages for the seekers as well yes i i think um i think the biggest impact for the seekers is that they feel differently about moving forward. And um, that really, here's, this is a great story as well. We had a, um, a sage who, this was when I was in the Boston area, when he was 19, and, and he was, I think he was about 84. When he was 19, he was drafted to the Dodgers as a pitcher. And mm. before, and, and so he told the story that when, before he went to spring training his first year, he was playing baseball in the street, which, of course, that's what they did so many years ago. Um, mm-hmm. He was playing baseball in the street with the neighborhood kids, and he blew his arm out. Oh, and no. so he was. Yeah, so that was the end of that career. And so he, when he told the story to his 
student. And this was a program at a very prestigious um, private school in the Boston area. He, he called me up and he said to me, I'm doing something wrong. And I said, Peter, I doubt it, but what, do you, what's, what are you thinking? And he said, my, for the last three weeks, my student continually asks me, how do you deal with disappointment? And so as soon as I heard that, I said, yeah, I said to him, okay, look, you had one of the most profoundly disappointing experiences, and this student happened to be a junior, and he knew that he was going to be applying to schools, and he saw all the seniors getting their letters of rejection, and he just did not know how he would be able to deal with that. And so he spent three of the five one-on-one sessions talking about disappointment until he could actually see himself navigating and living through the disappointment that he might get his senior year. So um, there are many, um, many instances where students have actually, we do the program at universities too, and there were instances where um, students have changed careers because they were choosing a career based on what their parents wanted them to do. The expectation of their parents, right. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I I don't want to hear anything from the parents. I I was terrified the first time I heard that. I thought, oh, I hope they don't call me and say, my child is going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And Thanks to you, doctor. right? Yes. <laughs> oh, but my gosh. It's so important, and that's one of the things that the older adults are able to put in perspective for the students, and, and that's priceless. That is really priceless. It, it is. I, I'm just thinking about, you know, just society in general, and, and things that are happening today. I mean, I, I don't have grandchildren. I don't have young children in school. Some days you just don't want to even put the news on because you want to make sure that your family members that have gone to school come back from school alive. I mean, there's just so many things that are going on today that were so different from you when you and I grew up. But I'd like to know, what can we as a society accomplish by bringing these generations together. Mm. That is such a lovely question and topic. Um, And I think besides what we've already spoken about in terms of the empathy that is developed in both directions, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. older adults love to say, oh, these teens, you know, they don't listen, they don't care. You know, they're just on their phones. And um, so that shifts, of course, because of the empathy that's developed. But right now, there is a huge struggle in the workplace, specifically Mm. between boomers and the millennials. And when I started reading in newspapers and magazines about the workplace struggle, I I realized that, you know, if we can create a society that has seen the value all generations, we can avoid the animosity and, of course, get more done, be more productive. Mm -hmm. And 
So having intergenerational connections now while, you know, before the younger generations get into the workplace, this allows that, you know, when they're in the workplace, it allows each generation to bring their own gifts to the table. And for the older adults, you know, they bring their experiences from the past, which are invaluable. And the younger generation brings their limitless imagination of the future. So what I think can be accomplished is, you know, solving some of these problems today, like global warming and, and homelessness and and all mm-hmm. of the, the issues that we struggle to see from all angles in order to resolve. And so, you yeah. know, now if, if they respect each other in the workplace, it'll be, it'll be a better situation moving forward. Indeed. I'm sure you're right. Um, I, I'm, I'm always interested in people. You mentioned that earlier because I am. I always have been from, honestly, as long as I can remember, certainly starting in junior high school. I was always that one that was observing. I should have been paying attention oh. in class, but I wasn't really interested in that. <laughs> and I was always getting in trouble for talking too much. So, you know, I, was, I didn't know I was in job training at the time. But... <laughs> Uh, it's just what it's just as my beloved husband would have said it is what it is and that's the truth all right so that's so, great <laughs> so i'm just curious what what has sagers sagers see i i'm so excited i can't speak what has sages and seekers meant to you personally on your own aging journey because uh you know it's that's what we're doing here so what has it meant to you personally on your own journey? Wow. I That's know. That's a great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, aside from the fact that I now um, consider myself an older adult, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think every day I'm inspired by the connection that are created in our programs. And mm-hmm. um, I'm sure that's why I continue to do this after 13 years um, because it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, you do. know, it's a lot of work bringing something new to the, you know, to society. And because I witnessed atheism diminishing between our participants I'm constantly reminded that age is simply a number and mm-hmm. that we, we're we continually growing as we age. In, in fact, everyone is aging, including the teens and the millennials. And nobody right. thinks about it. You know, nobody thinks they're aging. You know, you, you, you say, oh, 2022 is over and we're into 2023, but... You don't say, you know, I'm a year closer to being an older adult. You know, mm-hmm. you just don't think about it. So um, I, I look at it as older adults, you know, we're just further into the process of aging and we have more to share with others, um, with our stories and in our hopefully more empathetic actions. 
Um, and so, interestingly, I'm not as afraid of hmm. becoming an older adult because I have seen so many remarkable older adults that I realize that what most of us think of is the stereotype of, yeah. you know, what it is to be an old person. And right. I don't think it be that way. We, we had a 102-year-old in one of our programs. Mm. And she was as sharp. Everyone wanted her. She was clever. She had a great sense of humor. She was really smart. And then here in L.A., now, Marsha, I'm not from L.A., so right. I'm not crazy about getting in my car and driving in L.A. Right. And pro, I facilitated a program at Larchmont Charter High School, which is close mm-hmm. to downtown in my mind. Right. It's pretty close. It is. Lafayette mm-hmm. Park area, yeah. And so um, we had a 97-year-old woman, Helen, who drove every week. Whoa. He drove from Santa Monica <gasps> to almost You're down You're kidding. Town. No, and I became totally fascinated by her, and I wanted to know what what is it, you know, that keeps you wanting to learn, wanting to experience new things and meet new people. And so for me, on my own aging journey, as you say, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm so very, very fortunate to have all these role models of, you know, I'm at the beginning of my 70s and I want to know what my 80s are going to look like and then what mm-hmm. my 90s look like. And so I, I, I actually ask a lot of questions, you know, from yeah. how much water do you drink to what do you do all day? <laughs> oh, my God, you sound just like me. Um, in these last couple of minutes, I'm thinking if I was somebody living where my friend lives in Idaho or Montana, and I'm thinking, dang, you know, I, I, we went to school together, so we're talking about somebody in their 70s. How could they get enrolled? How could they say, I want to be, I want to be a sage? How how could they could they could they do that from your website? Absolutely. They can Perfect. go and and you mentioned this earlier. I mean, we have we had a participant from Australia and I actually called her and I said, "Are you aware that it's going to be a different day?" And she said, "Oh, yeah, yeah." <laughs> and she, she was 82. And mm. so if if they go to and we would love to have, you know, more people because then we can enroll more students who right. really are. They can go to our website and click on the enroll button, and then mm-hmm. they can choose if they're in the area. They can do an in-person program. If they're not, our online programs are incredibly popular. They're they're unfortunately all full for our spring semester with a wait list, but um, when the fall comes around, uh, I I hope they can reach out now and 
then we will put them on the mailing list and then they can enroll in the fall school year, which I can say this with all honesty, they will have a ball. They will love it. Well, and it's free. I've, it's free. I've loved this whole conversation. I, I mean, I've just, I've just loved your enthusiasm, but I love what you're doing. I, I'm thinking to myself, man, I should be doing something like this. But I don't know where I would add one more thing right now to what I'm already doing. <laughs> but I can assure you I'm going to be talking about this at my Rotary Club. I'm going to be telling people that I know that I'm involved with in, in any other organization that this this is a very purposeful thing that an active older adult that we call sages could be involved in. And I just want to thank you, uh, Ellie, for for the time that you've spent in developing this and the time you've spent in discussing and sharing what you love with our listeners today. This has just been sensational. I've so enjoyed oh. it. Thank you, Marcia. And I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, I mean, it's it's easy to be charming and lovely because I'm volleying with you. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's so funny. Well, since we don't live all that far from one another, I suspect that, you know, meetings, if if that lady can drive all those miles, I'm telling you, <laughs> we'll have to find a time where you and I can meet and, and have a face-to-face, all right? But for now, I, I know that I would love to do that. And I know you have a doggy that probably needs to have a walk. So um, I won't hold you up any longer. But, you know, some guests are repeat guests. I really do see that this might be a repeat thing that we can do as the fall semester gets closer on how people can enroll. And, I, you know, you are one of those guests that I would love to have join me again later in the year because I've just enjoyed this so much with you. Thank you. Thank you, Marcia. I truly appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, everybody, go out there, practice a random act of kindness. Let me challenge you to do that. And when you see, if you're, uh, you see a young person, don't be afraid to smile at them too. You don't know what that smile might be to that young person. Maybe they're missing their grandma or their grandpa. And just imagine if you say to that young person, how are you today? And they look at you like, are you talking to me? You know, you you never know. You never know where that can lead. So thank you for allowing me to interject through this whole podcast with you because I just feel so strongly about what it is that you're doing. But I can tell you, everybody, it doesn't just stop here. Oh, no, there will be a show again next week. So you'll have to join me for that as well. But for now, I'm going to say goodbye and let Ellie get on with the rest of her day. So thank you, everybody. If you like what, what you heard, share it. That's the one thing about social media. Share it with your friends so that other people can hear as well. And I will let you go for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>